Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calico Cofield. A mix-up at a German university 150 years ago appears to have led to the mislabeling of a great mathematician's brain. How did this mix-up come to light? How was it solved? What repercussions will it have on past research? And what, if anything, does a brain like this tell us about the genius who used it? All that today on the Physics Central Podcast. Carl Friedrich Gauss was only three years old when, without the help of an adult, he figured out how to add numbers together. In a few years, he had also figured out multiplication, division, and factoring. This would have been around 1780. When Gauss was still in elementary school, a teacher who wanted to keep the students busy for a while asked them to add all the numbers between 1 and 100. So 1 plus 2 is 3, plus 3 is 6, plus 4 is 10. The young Gauss started adding the numbers, but he quickly saw a pattern and realized that there was a faster way to arrive at the answer. He worked out an equation for finding the sum of all the numbers in a series. This is an equation that is still used in algebra and calculus today. Historically, Gauss is known as the Prince of Mathematics. He's considered the greatest German mathematician of the 19th century and one of the most influential mathematicians of all time. His influence stretched into physics and astronomy. In his own day, Gauss helped astronomers locate Ceres, which is a dwarf planet that lives in the asteroid belt. Gauss is responsible for something that is now known as the Gaussian Integral, and more than a half century after his death, it became an important function in a new field called quantum mechanics. When Gauss died in 1855, his brain was preserved and stored at the University of Göttingen in Germany. Earlier this year, some people at the university decided they wanted to document this brain for historical and archival purposes. Some people approached us um, to do that, that digital documentation, so to say, because they feared if everything would happen to that brain, um, you know, then at least, you know, we, we still have the digital, digital data um, from that brain. This is Renata Schweizer, and she is one of the people who was asked to help make digital scans of Gauss's brain. I'm a biologist and psychologist, and I work as a neuroscientist at the Biomedical NMR Research Group at the Max Planck Institute of Biophysical Chemistry um, in Göttingen, Germany. Biophysical chemistry, so that's <laughs> everything. Yes. It's, yeah, it, it covers essentially everything. <laughs> Schweizer is studying one particular spot in the brain called the primary somatosensory cortex. This is the first part of the brain that receives a signal whenever something touches the skin. Schweizer and her team are using fMRI machines to map the connection between the skin and the brain. Specifically, they want to do this in a short amount of time. She emphasized that this is basic research. Currently, there is no direct clinical application that the team is aiming for. It's pure exploration. 
Schweizer and her team accepted the request from Göttingen University, and earlier this year they started taking fMRI images of the Gauss brain. And Schweizer was looking at this brain, at this thing that she spends so much time exploring, and suddenly she noticed something and realized something rather alarming. It was clear to me that the brain that we scanned as the Gaussian brain was not the Gaussian brain. Human brains are a bit like human bodies. In a broad sense, they're basically all the same, and yet each one is also somewhat unique. Someone like Schweizer can see those unique characteristics in a brain. She says she has test subjects who frequently participate in these fMRI studies, and she can actually recognize them by their brains. So for her, looking at Gauss's brain was like looking at an individual person. And she realized that this was not Gauss's brain because this was a brain that she had seen before. The brain that Schweizer and her colleagues were looking at had a very unique characteristic. A portion of the brain, called the central sulcus, was divided. This is very rare. It's found in probably less than 1% of the people. We actually don't know the, the exact numbers. It has no implication for the subject who has that um, or for the person who has that. I think just a handful of people in the world know about this rare variation because it has no implications. Schweizer had taken an interest in this rare variation because it relates to her work on the primary somatosensory cortex. I was even more astonished because I somehow knew that very individual divided brain from a published lithograph from 1862, which is the first description of a divided central circus. Just to be sure, she went and got those original lithographs, the one of the divided central sulcus, and the original drawings of Gauss's brain that were done when he died. And sure enough, this definitely was not Gauss's brain. But it was really clear from the original literature that the brain with the divided central sulcus was the brain of a famous physician whose name is Konrad Heinrich Fuchs. The question that arose then was if, you know, the, the brain that we scanned was the brain of Fuchs, where is the Gauss brain? Schweizer started digging into the brain literature, looking for a connection between Gauss and this Dr. Fuchs. In the 1860s, an anatomist named Rudolf Wagner went to Göttingen to make some detailed drawings of Gauss's brain. He'd actually been a friend of Gauss's. Amid the works that Wagner produced while he was at Göttingen was another detailed drawing of another brain that was stored there, the brain of Konrad Heinrich Fuchs. Was it possible that Wagner had just mixed up the two brains? Then we really had to go to the university collections to look, are there any other brains um, preserved there? Um, so we went there. We actually found another historical glass drawer um, with a preserved brain, and the label on that was Konrad Heinrich Fuchs. Um, so we documented everything, and we checked on the brain, which was in there, um, 
And that was actually the brain then of um, Karl Friedrich Gauss. So then it was clear, having these two historical jars, that the brains have been switched between these two jars, so that in the jar labeled Karl Friedrich Gauss was actually the brain of Konrad Heinrich Fuchs and vice versa. Based on the original lithographs of each brain and the circumstantial evidence, it seems as though the mystery has been solved. It, it has been really a scientific detective story. Um, for me personal, it was a very interesting story because it, it also told me that, you know, always, always read the original literature and not always trust labels. <laughs> <laughs> And I really had the, the advantage of knowing this rare variation because otherwise I would have not seen that this is not the Gaussian brain. It's just this coincidence that I do this very basic research. Basic research without any clinical applications can be important. Thankfully, this mix-up doesn't appear to have any impact on previous work done with the alleged Gauss brain. But I was actually curious why that was. Why hadn't more people studied Gauss's brain? I mean, if you have the brain of a genius in your collection, wouldn't you want to study it and maybe try to figure out what made him a genius? I think that's an historical approach. It was very important at that time, 1855, to ask this question. I think nowadays with modern neurobiology and neuroscience research, we just know that this is a very, very complex question. At least I don't really expect to find the genius um, in one or two convolutions. The scientist who first examined Gauss's brain and created the original lithographs noted that his brain was somewhat heavier than average. At the time, this might have been loosely interpreted as the cause of his excessive intelligence, but no theories to suggest that brain size actually influences intelligence have ever held up. A single characteristic of the brain cannot possibly explain the complexity of the mind. But scientists are still trying to bridge the gap between these two things, and they're learning more about both of them. I mean, if you think about intelligence, um, you know, if, if you do a psychological test, you know, it's not only three questions, you know, you have subtests which, um, you know, test different cognitive abilities. You know, and each of this cognitive, cognitive ability that adds up to intelligence. Nowadays, we think much more in, in networks and, you know, functional activation, how the brain areas work together, what we now measure with, with fMRI. And we do now do know that there is a certain relationship to the structure, but only to a certain point. So it would probably be more interesting if you could see Gauss's brain in working in an fMRI machine than just the the dead brain. Yeah, that would be very interesting. <laughs> Thank you again to Renate Schweitzer for being on the podcast. The conclusions of her investigation were published online in the journal Brain on October 26th. 
You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast.